Well, it is a treat that I have been looking forward to, to be here and celebrate Family Day with the Winsboro Church of Christ. My dad was born in Big Spring, Texas. I don't know if any of you know where Big Spring is. Uh, it's another place where they're always looking for more rain out in West Texas. And uh, <clears throat> grew up there, picked a little bit of cotton, and ended up moving to Southern California, where he, uh, as we like to say, harvested the oranges. He was a he was a fruit picker. He and his mom and dad. And it was there in an orange tree that a fellow named Hubert Derrick climbed up on a ladder to talk to my dad about Jesus. Ended up leading him to Christ, baptizing him, and then mentoring him into ministry. So my father, a proud Texan, when we got, uh, got up to be, I don't know, 12 or 13 years old, my younger sister and I, he said, we're going to plan a family vacation to Texas. Now, back in the day, you wouldn't jump on a plane, you would get in the station wagon, which is what we did. And so we drove from California to Texas for my first visit to this great state. I remember all the excitement, because Dad had told us all about Texas. Everything is better in Texas, and everything is what? Bigger in Texas. So we're driving across Arizona and saw the painted desert and how beautiful. He says, oh, that's nothing compared to Texas. <laughs> Got into Arizona, uh, to New Mexico and all the flatlands there and how big it was. Oh, just wait till we get to Texas. So I remember sitting up in the back seat of that station wagon and waiting for the moment that we would cross into the state. I knew that it would be like the scene in Wizard of Oz when Dorothy... <laughs> steps out in the land of Oz. I waited and waited and waited. It was in the afternoon as we entered the state. My sister was asleep. I think maybe even mom was dozing in the front seat. And I said, Dad, when are we going to get here? He said, what do you mean? We've been in Texas for about an hour now. He says, you're kidding me. It looks just like New Mexico. He said, oh, you're going to have to learn to see with Texas eyes. That phrase has stuck with me. In fact, this morning, that's literally what I want to talk to you about, only not Texas eyes, but the eyes that we need for focus. How many here have ever taken one of those long family road trips? Will you confess to that? Yeah. How many made it back with all the family members you left with when you took that road trip? Sometimes in families, it can feel like, man, I am just hanging on by my fingernails to get through. We raised three boys. On one particular Sunday, I arrived at home. Catherine and I drove different cars because at that point, the church where I was preaching in Mission Viejo, California. In fact, I've got a former Mission Viejo member here this morning. It was a sweet surprise. Uh, but uh, we, we, we drove separately. Sometimes she'd bring some of the boys and I'd bring some of the boys. And I'll never forget getting home one day and we were getting ready for lunch and she said, where's Riley? And I said, well, he rode with you. And she said, no, he didn't. <laughs> Riley was thrilled because he just said to one of the other kids, can I go home with you for lunch? And so he was at their house and we panicked. And you know, before the day of cell phones, we're calling everybody in the directory trying to find our son. Did you ever have one of those days that felt, go ahead and show this next picture if you would. Just like, well, one more, sorry. Just like that. Have you ever felt like there was a time when you you were just plugging in extra plugs into extra plugs? 
And those pictures remind me that I should have said, greetings from Pepperdine University, where I serve. And seeing as you've invited me here, back up one slide, I want to invite you to Pepperdine. Every year we have what we call, it's kind of like our family day, only it's a four-day event called Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lectures. We'll bring in preachers and teachers from all over the country, about 200 of them. And 3,000 or so Christians from all over the country will come together for four days of great singing. And man, the singing's been good this morning. Thank you, brother. Been great, great. I really thank all of you for great worship today. But can you imagine being in a gymnasium with 2,000 Christians singing, I stand in awe of you? Well, we'd love to have you come because we want to make it possible for you. We empty out the dorms. School finishes the week before. They freshen up the dorms and they, we make them available to you. You and your family can come and stay in a dorm room. Per person, it's just $150 for the whole four days. That's not per night. That's all four days in an ocean view room in Malibu, California. I know there's some husbands saying, that's the anniversary trip I can afford right there. We'll mark that, we'll mark that down. We have programs for teenagers and children. We just uh, just know you are invited. We'd love to have you come out. If you're a sophomore or junior in high school, see me afterwards. We have a special program for you called Crossways, a nine-day Christian leadership event there on our campus. And we'd love to invite you uh, to come uh, to come check that out. Uh, I'll be here afterwards to answer some questions about that. So, how do you stay focused? If you're in a busy family, and I tried to find a picture of a busy family, how do you, in fact, in your bulletin outline, there's a place for you to make some notes, maybe to take these home and remember it. So if you'll open to that sermon note part there, how do you stay focused on what really matters when there's so much going on around you? Well, interestingly enough, my father's comment about Texas eyes was complimented by something that my son said to me. It's been a couple of years ago now. Uh, My son works in the entertainment industry in Southern California. He is a video editor for a YouTube channel called People Are Awesome. If you've never seen it, it's an amazing channel that has all these videos of people doing crazy cool things, and there are millions of views. And Riley is the guy that oversees all those videos being put together. But I got a call from him a while back, and he said, Dad, I can't believe it, Rich got my dream job. And I said, really, what's your, what was your dream job? He says, he's going to get to do sizzle reels for Fox Sports. I said, wow, sizzle reels, what's that? <laughs> he said, oh, come on, Dad, you've seen tons of sizzle reel. Every time you see an NFL game or an NBA game, you know, right at the end of a period of play, right before they go to the commercial, there'll be this, na 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 the music will play, and there'll be a two or three second recap of the best things. Like if there's a major three-point shot, that's the last thing you'll see before you go to the commercial. Or if there's an end zone catch, that's what you'll see. He says there's one person, and it's their job sitting in the truck in front of the console to watch for a cool play. And every time they see one, they pull that video clip down because you can't decide which one you're going to use until eight seconds before before that little commercial goes on. He says because if something happens right at the last, you've got to have it. So when they get to eight seconds, they get the cue, scissor reel eight. And they have eight seconds to select, uh, I'll use this one and this one, and put them in this order, put this music in, hit the button, it's rendered, and boom, it goes out on national television. He said, doesn't that sound cool? I said, that sounds like a stomach ache. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a lot of pressure. 
trying to take all of that and squeeze it together, and then it hit me. God did that. In the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, go ahead and mark this down, God gives us a sizzle reel of the lives of people who stayed focused no matter what. Hebrews 11, as Justin read that text before you, Hebrews 11 begins with this statement. Remember what he, how Hebrews 11 starts? Now, let's read it all together. Now, faith is being... When we get to the word sure, could you sound sure? Let's try that. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and of what we do not see. Remember when I wrote into Texas, I didn't see it. Dad says, oh, you got to look with Texas eyes. Friends, if we're going to keep our families focused, we're going to have to look past what is in front of our eyes. Can I get a oh yeah? We've got to look to things that last. Now, God's sizzle reel is all through Hebrews 11. You understand what I mean, God's sizzle reel? He takes, uh, say, the story of Noah. story of Noah takes several chapters to tell in the book of Genesis. God does it in one verse in Hebrews 11. Now, if you are going to do Noah's sizzle reel, what's the one thing you'd have to have in that sizzle reel? The ark. Exactly. Take a look. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, did what? So, there it is. In one verse, he takes about five chapters and condenses it, the Reader's Digest version. Or the story of Abraham. Abraham's story takes pages and pages and pages in the book of Genesis. But he condenses it down to two or three verses, the little sizzle reel of Abraham's life. Here's the first one. Let's read it. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he'd later receive as his inheritance, what did he do? Even though he what? Did not know where he was going. That's like writing with a lot of us, isn't it? He just does not know where he is going. He didn't have GPS, didn't have a map. By the way, God doesn't give maps. You know that, right? God says, what were those two words the brother said at the communion? Follow me. See, if God had given most of us a map of our life, we wouldn't have gotten a car with him, right? If I'd have known that at 20 years old, my dad would have a brain tumor. And when I was 21, he was dead. I'd have said, wait a minute, Lord, I want another map. If he'd have told me certain things about my life and journey, I'd have said, whoa, whoa, whoa. But remember what he said to Abraham? Come and go to a place I will show you and give it to you as inheritance. He didn't say, Abraham, here's where we're heading. He just said, say those two words, follow me. And Abraham could say, wait a minute, Lord, I can't see it. He says, I know. You just need to develop holy eyes. Just say the words, follow me. Now, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, because of our phones and such, have become control freaks. We like to know where I'm going. Just follow me. No, no, no. Give me the address. I'll put it in my phone. Because I want to know where I'm heading. If somebody says to you, hey, get in the car. Let's go for a ride. What's the first thing you'll say? Where are we going? What if they say, oh, don't worry about it. I've seen too many gangster movies to get in the car with you, right? You know, we're going for a ride. Where are we going? Don't worry about it. He's not going to be in the next scene of the movie, right? So here we have these moments 
where the writer says, let me give you just the Reader's Digest, let me give you the two-second, three-point shot. Abraham's, in this section, was he just trusted God even though he couldn't see where he was heading. You know, when I got to reading through Hebrews like it, and please don't advance the slide until I tell you on this one. (laughs) When I got to reading through Hebrews 11, I thought, what about my mom's favorite Bible character? My mom's favorite Bible character is one you're all familiar with. It's the 11th son of a man named Jacob. Now, of course, Abraham had a child whose name was... Come on, make Gerald proud here. Abraham had a child named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Actually, Jacob and Esau, right? First twins read about the Bible. And Jacob had 12 sons, and their names were? Come on now. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and all right, some of you going to heaven. Good. So those are the, those are what we sometimes call the twelve tribes of Israel, the twelve sons of Jacob. My mom's favorite Bible character was Joseph. There's more ink spilled over Joseph in the book of Genesis than almost any other person in the Old Testament. Joseph is often compared to Jesus. But when I read the one verse, don't look now. Come on now, look up here. Don't cheat. Don't Google this. When I read the one verse that encapsulates the entirety of Joseph's life into one sentence, I was shocked. Stunned. You say, what does it say? I'll show you in just a second. But for those who may not remember much about his story, let me give you this chance. There's a little box in the outline where it says the three-point shots in Joseph's life. I'm going to ask you to make some notes. I want to quickly review the story of Joseph, and then I'd like you to say, all right, hmm, here's what I think would be the three-point shot, the biggie for Joseph. All right, here we go. You remember that Joseph is the 11th boy. Anybody here grew up in a large family? Can you imagine having 10 older brothers? You talk about bullying. Talk about being pushed around. Talk about being last one to the table. Oh, wait, not Joseph, because Daddy loved Joseph best. Remember the coat he gave Joseph? A coat of... He gave that to him when he was a boy. That coat of many colors, if you read the history about it, it is not simply a beautiful coat. It's what's called a fancy dress coat. Imagine a farmer here in East Texas who calls all his boys together and he's got 12 of them and he goes to the second youngest and says, Son, I bought you some clothes. And the boy opens the box. It's a tuxedo. He says, Go ahead, put it on. When that boy dresses up in that tuxedo and all of his brothers are in coveralls, what is dad quietly saying about that boy? He's not going to be working out in the field, right? He's going to be in the office. He's going to be uptown. And you know that makes all the other brothers love him all the more. Even worse, Joseph had those dreams. Remember the dreams he had? Woke up one morning, comes to breakfast. Man, I had a crazy dream. His brothers are like, shut up, you know. They hate him already. I had this crazy dream. I had a dream that all of you were stars. I said, well, that's right. And daddy was the sun and mama was the moon and I was a star too. And then all of a sudden, the sun and the moon and all of your stars bowed down to mine. 
Isn't that just asking for a beatdown, right? To tell your brothers, oh, you all and dad and mom will bow down to me. They grew so angry with it. What they want to do? They want to kill him. They were that mad. In fact, one day they're out in the field and they threw him in a well. Well, it didn't kill him. But they decided, let's just take rocks and throw it on our little brother until he's dead. All you little kids, you think your mom and dad or your brothers have been mad at you? You ain't seen nothing. Can you imagine them literally? In fact, one of the brothers had to say, stop, don't do this. We can't kill him. And they were arguing over it when a group of Ishmaelite traders come by heading to Egypt. And they say, hey, you want to buy a slave? They yank their brother out of the pit. They sell him, only they say, we're keeping the coat. They take that coat, they dip it in some goat's blood, and they take it to their father and say, oh, dad, Joseph was tragically killed. They break their dad's heart. And they get rid of their little brother in the same move. Follow Joseph, though. Now, imagine. Say you're 15. 16. You get grabbed, sold into slavery, taken to a land where you cannot speak the language, and all of a sudden you're on an auction block, and some words are spoken, and somebody grabs you, and maybe they put a rope, or maybe they put a manacle on you, and they take you to the prison. And you're thinking, I've done nothing wrong. No, you were bought by the owner of the prison. By the fellow that manages the prison. His name was, anybody remember? Potiphar. And Potiphar says, you're going to to mop these floors. I don't know how they communicated. He didn't speak Egyptian, right? You're going to mop the floor. Well, Joseph just goes to it. Tell me what would happen to your faith in God if you had been loved by your dad and honored and then all of a sudden hated by your brothers and sold into slavery and taken to a land far from your family. I don't know, maybe the first few days you'd think, My daddy's going to come get me. Wouldn't you think that? My dad will come find me. But after a week, after a month, after a year, at what point would you say, God's forgotten me, not Joseph. The Bible says he served faithfully. In fact, Potiphar says, I'm going to make you the manager. He must have learned some Egyptian because Joseph became the manager of the whole prison. Wow, from my dad loves me, I'm sold into slavery, now I'm the manager of this prison. But then he met Potiphar's wife. Remember, you've only got one sentence. you got to encapsulate all that in one sentence, and we're not done yet. Because Potiphar's wife, she was the case. The Bible says that she noticed that Joseph was handsome and well-built. And I know that many men in this church know the burden of being handsome and well-built. <laughs> You know what it's like to be at the mall and have heads whip as you walk by, right? So can you imagine this woman in power comes on to this 18-year-old kid? Hey, good looking. What you got cooking? And what does Joseph do? He says, no ma'am. No ma'am, I will not. Oh, come on. My husband's out of town. No ma'am. No man, how could I dishonor your husband who trusts me? How could I dishonor my God? Wow. After all he's been through, he's still worried about honoring God. And that's amazing focus, isn't it? But this woman didn't give up. The Bible says day after day until finally she just grabs him. The sentence from the scripture is, come to bed with me. Now she's got a hold of him now. What's he going to do? Bible says he runs out of the house leaving his coat in her hands. Funny how coats figure in his life, right? 
He runs away doing the right thing. The problem is she's holding that coat when her husband comes through the door and says, Look, your servant tried to take advantage of me. And Potiphar says, What? And now Joseph isn't cleaning the prison. He is a prisoner. Anybody's life feel like that? I don't know if it's as high and low as Joseph's. But I know this. Joseph's down in that pit. Did you ever do the right thing and get in trouble for it? Did you ever get punished or mocked because you chose the right choice? Joseph knows what that feels like. Do you get angry? Oh man, I would have. I can't imagine what I'd have felt. But Joseph just keeps trusting God. He gets thrown in a prison cell and one fellow on his right says, yeah, I used to work for Pharaoh. The fellow on his left, I used to work for Pharaoh. I was his baker. I was his butler. Wow. They both have strange dreams. And they say, Joseph, I had strange dreams. He says, man, I know dreams. He said, well, tell us, what do our dreams mean? Joseph interprets their dream. He says to the butler, you're going to be back serving Pharaoh shortly. He says to the baker, you'll be dead in two weeks. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened to them. This guy was strung up, and this guy went back to serve the Pharaoh. And Joseph says, hey, remember me when you get to Pharaoh. And he didn't. When he first got there, he didn't say, hey, i got a buddy in jail. You ever been forgotten? You ever had somebody promise, I'll stand by you, and they didn't? Joseph knows what that feels like. But here's another twist. Pharaoh gets up one day and says, man, i got a headache. And his butler's there, right, who was in prison with Joseph. Here's your drink, sir. What's wrong? Man, I had a dream last night. It was just messed up. He said, how so? Well, I dreamed there were seven fat cows that came walking out of the Nile River. And right behind them came seven really skinny cows. And then the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows. But the skinny cows didn't gain any weight. Which, by the way, is a diet I've been looking for, right? All the beef you want, ain't no way. At that barbecue this afternoon. He says, I don't get it. It's a weird dream. And then I had one about ears of corn the same way. And all of a sudden, the butler says, I know a guy who does dreams. Where is he? He's in the prison. Well, get him up here. They grab Joseph, clean him up, and all of a sudden, he's before the most powerful man in the land. Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret dreams. Tell me what it meant. And Joseph says, well, my God can. And what your dream means, sir, it's bad news. The seven fat cows, those are seven years of really great crops. But then the seven skinny cows, sir, those are seven years of famine. And during the seven years of famine, you and your people will consume all the grain you had from the seven fat years. And then you'll starve because it won't be enough. Pharaoh says, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? I'm going to need somebody who's really wise and really thoughtful. Who can't? How about you? He said, what do you mean? You're my new agriculture department head. What you need to figure out how to store enough grain to get us through. I trust in you. You're wise. In fact, here, I'm going to make you one of my advisor counselors. The scripture says eventually Joseph was head of all of Egypt under Pharaoh. The vice president of Egypt. What a story. Oh, by the way, you got one sentence. One. You got to encapsulate all of that. Good luck. Oh, but wait, we're not done yet. Because what happens? Down in Israel, who is it that's down there in Canaan who's saying, oh, we're running out of food. We hear there's food in Egypt. Joseph's brothers. And they make the trek up to Egypt and they walk in the great hall. And who's standing up front? Joseph. 
Only they don't recognize him. They've been gone more than a decade from him. And he probably now dresses like, you know, the Egyptian makeup. So he talks like an Egyptian and he walks like an Egyptian. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying. And you say, but did he recognize his brothers? Absolutely. They got their same VBS costumes on. And so he knows, he knows exactly who they are, right? And as they come and what do they do when they walk in that room? They bow down just like his dreams. What a mind blower for Joseph. Here are my brothers doing what they do in my dream. Oh yeah. Here are the guys who totally screwed up my life. Here are the guys who tried to kill me, sold me into slavery. This is why I've had no family since I was 16. What would you do if you had all the power? See, all Joseph had to say was, prison, and they'd have been gone. Probably could have said, execute them, and they'd have been killed. But he didn't do it. It's a stunner to me. He doesn't do it. In fact, what he does is he gets his brother Benjamin up there. I mean, he yanks their chain a little bit with a golden cup, but he gets his brother Benjamin up there. And once he's got all the brothers there, he says, guys, I can see him kind of taking off maybe his headdress, kind of like Scooby-Doo. You know, he, he pulls off the, wipes away the, the makeup. He says, it's me, Joseph, which of course caused them to go, oh no, <laughs> you know, here's the one guy who really could, could give it to us and we deserve it. And so they panic, and he says, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. What you intended for harm, God used for good. You realize that, don't you? That if Joseph hadn't been there at the right time, at the right place in God's timing, he couldn't have interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and Egypt and his brothers would all have starved. Oh, I'll give you one more that will blow your mind. Not only did Joseph save his brothers through God's plan, He saved you and me. How? Remember those brothers' names? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and... Do you know who Judah was? Judah was the great, 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 or so grandfather of who? Jesus Christ. Joseph saved the lineage of Jesus who saves us. Amen? Amen. Wow! What a story! And you have one verse. One. You're going to appreciate why I was so stunned. Here it is. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Who was in the truck when that got picked? That's what I want to know. I read that and read it and just thought, I don't get it. I had, I'll just be honest with you, I had to go back to the book of Genesis, to the very last chapter, the very last words of the book of Genesis to try and find out what he's talking about. And here it is. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived to be 110 years old. Saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, which means he lived, he lived long enough to see his great, great grandkids bounced on his knee. Now here comes this verse. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. Well, he's 110, so he probably said, I'm about to die. 
But God will surely, everybody say surely. God will, one more time, come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will, come on, God will come to your aid and then you must do what? Carry my bones up from this place. Uh, it doesn't say that, but it says Joseph died, so I'm assuming. Uh, at the age of 110. They embalmed him. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period. End of the book of Genesis. Yeah, I didn't get it either. I had to read it three times before I went. Whoa. Okay, think about this. He'd been there 80 plus years at that point. He had lived in Egypt longer than most of us have been breathing. His brothers had lived in Egypt for 80 years. They had kids who had kids who had kids in Egypt. Guess what? Many of them had totally forgotten. Promised land. Guess who hadn't forgotten? Guess who'd stayed focused? Guess who couldn't see it, but he looked with holy eyes? And he's about to die. Don't you know Joseph every year was the one that at the big family gathering said, now y'all know, one day, God's going to take us out of here to the promised land. Don't you think there were some great grandkids that said, oh, if he gives that speech one more time, every year at his birthday party, he has to tell us, now God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And finally... Don't they say, doesn't somebody want to say, great, great grandpa, listen, it's not going to happen. Dude, we've been here for generations. I was born here. My mom was born here. My mom's mom was born here. God forgot us. And now Joseph is dying. And I wonder if he knew. I wonder if he knew who's going to keep telling this story. So he had a little plan. He said, all right, I'm dying. I know it. You know it. But you're going to swear something to me. Oh, Grandpa, God will surely come to your own. Here he goes again. All right, come here. Pinky swear with me. What do I want to promise? Don't bury me when I die. Grandpa, what do you want us to do with you? That's what we do here in Egypt. They'll wrap that stuff around you. They'll turn you in a mummy. They'll, In fact, they'll probably want to build a monument for you. No, do not. I don't want the pyramid of Joe. No, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put me in a box and let me rot. What? Yes, don't bury me. Just put me in a coffin and let me rot until there's nothing but bones left. Okay, then what? Then I want you to put my bones in a backpack. What? Yeah, something you can carry, a backpack. Okay, great-grandpa, that's weird. I'm going to be at school. People say, what's in the backpack? My great-grandpa. I mean, that's just, that's weird. He says, that's exactly what I want. Because I want them to say, why are you carrying your great-grandpa around? And you're going to say, because God will surely come to my aid. And one day we're going to promised land. You know what he was doing? He was writing a song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up 
Somewhere beyond. But wait a minute. The kids say, "Oh, listen, Grandma and Grandpa, we've been singing that song forever. Jesus died and rose again two thousand, nearly years ago." Isn't it time you say, "God just forgot," and we say, "Oh no, 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 no! Come here, promise me." We're going home, but I can't see it. Look with holy eyes. We're going home. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen before I die. But know this: this world is not my home. There's a home prepared where the saints abide, just over in the glory land. Soon and very soon, we are gonna. See the king. Yeah, we sing all those songs. You know why we sing them? We sing them and pass them on from generation to generation because we don't know when it's going to happen. But everybody say, surely, surely, God will come to our aid. You say, preacher, what does this mean for a family? That's how you stay focused. You stay focused by being sure that your family remembers every day. Listen, we're making choices for eternity. That's why these kids came down and packed food for hours and hours and hours. Not just because kids need that food, and they do, but they know this: they're serving a God who one day will say, "Enter ye in, good and faithful servants." That's why we're faithful in our marriages. That's why we're honest in our business. That's why we love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Yes, we're blessing this world, but there is something even better than a barbecue potluck waiting. Can I get it? Oh yeah. oh yeah, there is a wonderful promised land that's waiting. The question is, do you live like it? Do you? If I looked at your calendar and looked at your checkbook, would I be able to tell? Oh, listen, that family believes in eternity. Do your kids know where you're going? <laughs> I guess the, 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 the simplest thing I can say is the advice of Joseph is this. He says, "Look where you're headed. Look where you're headed." <laughs> I'll tell it fast. I saw a lady in the Chicago airport run into a giant pillar with her head. She was she was walking and texting. She's wearing this fancy black suit. You know, she's probably a business lady. Had a big black rollerboard. She had high heels on, and she was doing about twenty miles an hour through that airport. And bumped into me. Didn't say a thing. Didn't even say excuse me. It's the only reason I looked up and noticed her, because she ran over my shoe, and I thought what? And she just texting like this, and just walking like it's going out of style. And I thought, man, really? And then I saw what was going on. There was a, I mean, a six foot pillar. In the Chicago airport, there's metal wrapped around it, and I'm thinking, "Oh no!" And she had her head down like this and was walking like this, and I thought, "She's going to hit that thing." <laughs> now, some of you may say, "Well, as a Christian, shouldn't you have said something?" I was so sure. I mean, you know, we've all done it. You get right at it, you go, "Whoops!" And I was just waiting for the whoops. There was no whoops. She just, she just barreled straight in that like a torpedo. And when she hit it with the top of her head, that metal went bum 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 like this. And everybody in the concourse went what? And all of a sudden, she's wobbling around. And I thought, oh, she's going down. But she stayed up, looked around, looked at the pillar, and said, "Who put that there?" And then zipped around. 
I thought to myself, oh man, that is us. We get stuck right here with my job and this or what's going on or what the latest presidential tweet was or what's happening in Europe or whatever it is. And it's all right here. And Joseph says, hey boy, look where you're going. Don't let that, don't let that tube cap, don't let that phone capture. Look where you're going. Because you might start treating people different, Jeff, if you start looking where you're going. Instead of worrying about this, you might start taking time to love one another in your family. Maybe we would spend more time talking to our kids about eternity than you got to get a job. Maybe we would spend more time talking to our kids about loving Jesus than you got to win that game. Joseph is my model. For somebody who in ups and downs kept his focus for his family. Saying, look where you're going. And one day, God will, come on, say it like you mean it. God will, surely, we can't see it, but he's going to bring us home. Now, there are moments when you'll forget it. (laughs) i got to quit. That's why I love the Roadrunner. Remember the Roadrunner? That cartoon? No, exactly. No matter what happened, no matter what happened, Wiley Coyote would buy this or do that, and all of a sudden a truck could come out of a painted tunnel. As a kid, I'd think, oh, he's going to get him. He's going to get him, but he's always get away. I was an adult before I found out the Roadrunner's secret. He had an agreement with the writer. No matter what happened in the cartoon, the writer just wrote him a wonderful ending. So what about me? I have an agreement with the writer, too. I mean, let's just say this afternoon I jump in that car and I dash back to Dallas Airport. I get on that plane and it takes off over Texas. And four minutes after takeoff, the right engine explodes. And the bolts on the left engine come loose and it falls off. The pilot has a heart attack and the co-pilot has a stroke at the same instant. The fellow in front of me jumps up and says, I'm a terrorist. And he's got bombs all over him. And the lady behind me drops a cigarette and lights the plane on fire. All right, every bad thing that could happen has happened on my plane, right? And that plane all of a sudden is zoom, zeroing down on the ground. We're going to smash into the ground. We're going to explode. And Satan says, oh, I got you now. I got you now. Oh, he will surely come to your aid. I got you now. What are you going to say? The last thing he's going to hear from me when that plane explodes is, meet, meet, and I'm going to heaven. Because we have an agreement with the writer. Can I get a, oh yeah. We have an agreement with the writer that is supposed to put us on track to stay focused. Now, it's possible this morning that you've sat here and listened to this lesson and thought, that ain't me. That's not where I am. Maybe you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ. But maybe you have, and you haven't been living like it. Maybe if somebody was following your car, they'd say, I have no idea where she's going, and neither does she. I have no idea where he's going. Well, this morning, we're going to close with an imitation song. And maybe... You may have a need of coming and saying, I want to put my family back on track. I want to focus on where I'm going. But maybe what we need to do is just have a little prayer at the dinner table tonight at our houses and say, you know what? God will come to our aid because this world is not our home. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. 
Lord, as we sing together, I just ask that you give us courage and strength. And if there are those that need to come, give them the, the strength and courage to do so. Father, I thank you that in Jesus Christ we have grace and forgiveness. We're not going to heaven because we uh, we get it all right. And so, Father, as we sing a common love, will you give any that need to the courage to step out trusting your love? And I pray that in Jesus' name and all that agree say, Amen. Amen. While we stand and while we sing, if you're in need, won't you come?